Luke 4, 16 through 30. He, being Jesus, went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found a place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him and he began by saying to them, Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lip. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote the proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Do hear in your hometown what we've heard that you did in Capernaum. And they spoke well of him and marveled at the, I'm on 22, at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, resistant, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Cabernet, do here now in our hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. And when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. Boy, I read that wrong. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, only Nam and the Syrian. When they when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to, bra- to the brow of the hill on which their, their town was built so they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Um, this is the word of the Lord. <laughs> Not well read. We'll, we'll fix it. We'll fix it. Um, uh, I'm Howard Brown, the senior pastor at Christ Central Church. Welcome um, this morning. We're going to continue in our sermon series, The Christ of Christianity. And today uh, we will look at Jesus the Radical and what it is about him and his earthly ministry, um, continuing ministry, that makes and calls Christianity to be a radical religion. Radical meaning a Religion, a ministry not held back by the unrighteousness or the self-righteousness of people. But a faith, a belief, a ministry that is free because of Jesus to reach whoever and wherever he wants. That Jesus is the radical because he has a radical message and a radical mission and is a radical Messiah. So when we look at this text, understand that Jesus comes back home. And as the hometown celebrity, uh, some texts ahead of this let us know that he's been traveling around preaching and healing. And he gets, you know, 
the son of that town gets to go into the synagogue and read from the scriptures. And he reads this following verse that you have before you, in particular, the one that we see coming from Isaiah. And it is in and of itself one of the most radical messages of scripture. And it becomes the message of the gospel. It becomes the message of Jesus' ministry um, to a world of people. And the message is this. That God is going to, through an anointed one, as it says, a Messiah, fix all who are broken and fix all that is broken. And we see explained in Isaiah this definition of brokenness, or as we put it, being broke, can be summed up in one word here. Poor. Poor. That this radical message says that the good that, that God is going to bring the good news. This radical message of God is to the poor. What do I mean by that? By that? To those not able to make ends meet, trying to make a dollar out of 15 cents, right? Those who are desperate, needy, beggarly in money and relationships and identity. Those who lack what it takes to be centered, to be stable, to be normal, to have dignity in anything. And then he says that God, through his Messiah, as it reads, is going to free the prisoners, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. The captives in this context, it would mean those who are in exile, who are separated from family and community because maybe they messed up or some messed up or evil circumstances or situations. It it could also mean, as we take it further, to be bound or 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 held up by some evil force or issue in your life, maybe caught or trapped or addicted to something. And then he goes on to say that sight will be given to the blind, which again means having no hope in your brokenness. You 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 can't even see your way clear. You you have no direction. You 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 are lacking purpose and a plan. Some of us are unable to see or recognize or even believe God and what God might be promising or planning to do for you or even has done for you. You know, when you're blind, it's it's saying that it's hard to know right from wrong and up from down and and left from right. And if you're blind in this historical context and community, you are separated. From God and community. And then he says that the Messiah is going to release the oppressed. He's going to proclaim liberty and freedom to those who are bruised or damaged or hurt or harmed by others. Oppressors, right? And oppressive behaviors. Liberty for the abused from the abusers and the abusers from abusing others. And all the psychological and and physical and emotional damage that goes along with being poor and imprisoned and blind and oppressed to fix all who are broken. And therefore, along with it, all that is broken. Look with me at verse 19. It says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The year would mean that the, the, the year of the Lord's favor would mean a new administration 
is coming. That that would be Messiah-led. The the listeners of that day would have understood that this message of the coming Messiah would have meant that a new kingdom, a a world takeover, that all the systems and and leadership and and spiritual powers and all the history that that has gone into creating and sustaining a a broken world along with the real issues of poverty and and marginalization and abuse and and all the hearts and minds that make those things keep going, you know, that, that institutional racism and societal injustices that, that the economic systems of greed and, and the dominating forces over and in people that have created a broken world, those things will be broken too. That the Messiah will come and be the new Lord and King and with it bring a new administration of hope and peace, and freedom, and justice, and honor, and righteousness. As the verse says here, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And the radical message here is clear, that God has sent an anointed one to be humanities in this world's Messiah. And the Bible says here, what? That, that, that all the eyes were on him after he said this. In other words, he was the man. It's a, it's a literary effect to, to make you think what he's just finished read. It has a lot to do with this person right here. The anointed one is coming. The Messiah is coming and all these things are going to happen. And all eyes are on him. And it's, it's implying this must be about you. Jesus is talking about himself here, y'all. And he says what in verse 21? And he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And I want to make clear that he didn't read all of the verse in Isaiah. He actually stopped short. He did a half sentence of a very popular verse. It was like saying, For God so loves the world. Amen. Rolling down a street, sipping on gin and juice, laid back with my... I know y'all want to say money, mine, money, money, money. Okay. Y'all get it. It, it ain't complete. And the reason for this is that the second part of the verse goes like this. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our Lord. The end. That's the way it really ends. So he did it to emphasize that now, that today, at that moment when he showed up in his public ministry some 2,000 years ago, that the year, that that year, and and by year it means time or season for a limited time only. Y'all understand that? That now for over 2,000 years there have been no limitations on the issues that God won't heal. That you can call now. The Messiah standing by to begin to take your orders and requests, right? And, and, and take on your needs for redemption. That the new administration of healing and hope is right now. And they sat there like y'all sitting here now, like, that's nice. Now. Now. Right here for you, sitting right here. This ain't about them, this is about us. This is a proclamation of the gospel to those of us who sit right here in 2009. And he assures that this is the day of the Lord right now because, dun, 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 right? I am here, y'all. 
That's right. I'm the Messiah. And just like it was quiet then, right now it was quiet then. It, it, it was, when he said this and all eyes were upon him, it is, it is like a joke going bad for these folks. You know, as the scripture says here in verse 22, look at this. After he says, today the scriptures are filled in your hearing, verse 22, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? And, and I interpret it this way. That up to this point, considering all that he had done, right? And some miracles they had heard he was doing on his local tours, you know, playing the version of the Jewish chitlin circuit that, you know, Jesus was just kind of going around doing his little show that he was a great teacher. You know, he was a hometown boy gone off and done good. He was the kid that always played Moses or David in the synagogue plays. And now he wanted to play Messiah. But you too old to be cute. Jesus, you've outgrown that stuff. You don't stop playing there. There's a whole bunch of bless your soul. And that's all right, baby. You know, sit down or, or oh, you're already sitting. Well, well, get up and go now. And, and, you know, you can see his friends. He grew up with his, his homeboys in the back rows. Their heads just drop it. He done lost it, y'all. I told you them fumes from the carpenter turpentine shellac was going to get to him. <laughs> Joseph should have opened some windows or something. And the older women are probably back there like, I feel so bad for his mama. She must be so embarrassed her child is afflicted. Something didn't work right. He think he's somebody and Jesus doesn't leave what is already a potentially disastrous first showing as Lord of the world, right? I mean, I believe they are willing to let it go, but Jesus wouldn't. He was a radical. So with this radical message, Jesus comes with this radical mission. And he says this, which most of you, most of you don't have. Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we've heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued. See, continued. Stop, Jesus. No, he's a radical. He, he got to show something. No prophet is accepted in his own home, in his hometown. I assure you that there are many widows that's bad. In Israel, in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon. And then, and there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet. Yet none of them was clean, only Naaman, the Syrian. And what is he saying? He's telling us what he's going to do with his message. He's going to go to people who need more than just a sign or a show, but who need salvation. He's going to take the message of salvation from the God of Abraham, the Jews, to the Gentiles. And I would add to that those outcast Jews who were alienated from God for one reason or another. Maybe their bad behavior or some sin or some disease or some poverty or some bad decisions. Okay, to kind of make you understand what's going on here, think Kanye West at the VMAs. Stop 
Please stop now. You know, the, this is the time the Jews after the scripture, they can gloat. Woohoo! The year of the Lord. That's us. We win. I got the award and Jesus breaks in like Kanye did. <laughs> Cutting it short and being wholly inappropriate. And many of the people are probably in the synagogue that day calling him the alternate name for a donkey. But Jesus is like, hee-haw, the joke's on you. Because we will see throughout this series, the radical mission means that your Messiah is not yours. This Old Testament stuff, this passage in Isaiah is not for the Jew, but also for the Gentile and not just for Israel, but for the whole world. Then outermost parts of the world, those the farthest away from the Lord or their understanding of the Lord. Jesus' radical mission To those who don't deserve it. Or those who couldn't make an ethnic or moral right to have what is promised here. I mean, those without a golden Jewish ticket. Those who were prisoners, right? Felons who who have no rights unless God alone pardons them. I mean, those, who are we talking about? We are talking about the poor, the cursed by God. The famished, the, those who were blind, and, but blind meaning those who can't see God or who have never seen God before. The oppressed, those who because of what they look like or because the family of origin issues or their history should not be allowed into the kingdom. That is a radical mission. He, he's going to take God's Philip Mignon. I said that right. I didn't take French in college. Fill it, make non, and give it to the dogs. Right? And just so you don't get it twisted this morning, the fill it, make non is the gospel, and the dogs are you and me. Most of the people who call themselves Christians today are the people. That when they, the Nazareth that heard this message thing, don't go to those folk. All you good Christian people, you were the dogs. And they thought God was in Jesus doing something stupid and silly and crazy and dirty and wrong to bring the gospel to you. You and I. Most of us here are the result of the radical mission of Jesus Christ. According to the people in Nazareth that day, you are an unintended guest, a surprise guest. They would look at you and those who had come here claiming the promises of Abraham, reading this scripture, singing these songs from the Old Testament. Who invited you? How did you get here? All these blonde head, lighter skinned people. How y'all got here? Most of y'all wouldn't have lived long. Got skin problems back then in the day, back in that arid region. Maybe not a surprise to see me, you know, close to Africa and all that, but some of y'all, how'd y'all get it? Just by looking at you, they'd be racist. Who are these folk? These barbarians, where they come from? It's kind of hard to hear, I know. The radical mission of Jesus Christ to reach those who no way in Hades should be able to hear or put their dirty, sinful hands and lies on this truth. And the response to this announcement of that divine detour was fury. These folk were angry. 
I mean, Jesus says this at the beginning of verse 23. Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we've heard you do. You did in Capernaum. And Jesus is anticipating. Remember, he's God. He can read hearts. He's anticipating how they feel or would feel about the radical message and mission. And so this is what happened. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this verse 28, which you don't have. They got up and drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. You see, they wanted or worse believed that all they needed from Jesus was some nice and safe magic tricks. Right? Jesus, show us how you turn water into wine. Woo, you pretty good. We got a prophet, y'all. You know, they wanted him to run for their political office, some of them. You know, Jesus, show us that you can, ba-boom, drop some thunder from heaven. Ha! Watch out, Romans, here we come. We got the Heisman guy here. Just get, give him the ball. We ready to roll. Ready to put our Jewish jerseys back on. We ready to represent. We got Jesus. But his mission was more radical than being owned or operated or incorporated by a certain people group or those who thought they could use him as a spiritual circus ride or motivational speaker or the act at the local gym during the community fundraiser. You know, that boy can really preach. Get him to talk at the thing, right? You know, Jesus would be the type, hey, we getting Jesus to pray at your wedding. Man. No, Jesus never, as we can infer from this and anything we see in Scripture, in his ministry, he never intended to be owned. To be on anyone's record label or to be labeled or to be signed or to owe anyone. And and there's a second part of this radical message that was hard for them and for us to hear and recognize that therefore he was not only going for people in this message, he's going against people. The hard part of the gospel. He says it here, doesn't he? Understand, when he was referring to the Old Testament prophets being rejected by their people, you know, think about these images, you know. There are plenty of widows in Elijah's day. That means people who need rain and stuff to happen, right? So they could eat. Plenty of folk who were needy. It didn't rain for three and a half years. And yet we took the blessing while your folks starved. We took it over to the Gentiles. What? Why is he telling us that? What are you trying to say? And then, you know, they say, okay, well, another thing. There was plenty of lepers in Israel. But guess what? God's prophet, while y'all was suffering from leprosy, that's like some kind of skin disease eating your body up, you know. Think MRSA kind of stuff. And so you had to hang out, something like that. It, anyway. Am I wrong, theologians? Kind of some type of bad. You don't want to be touched by him. You might get it. Anyway, so it, the cooties or something. You know, it's just one of them things. It's just bad. And he's like, you had plenty of lepers, plenty of diseases spreading around and all that. And guess what? The prophets went to somebody else and healed them of their disease. And it, it's clear. He is saying God's judgment not only on you, but against you. Because the voice and person of God will be ticked out and has been ticked out by you. You know, again, the the leprosy stuff. And he is saying that because of your unbelief and self-righteousness, the radical message and mission of God was often in the history of Israel against them. It was offensive to them. He didn't intend 
to be theirs. He didn't intend to stay at home and do what they wanted, how they wanted. They were not righteous enough or too self-righteous to tell who and what God should be and do. He is too radical for that. I want to cut to the chase. Jesus' mission is one that is against our sense of righteousness a lot of times and our personal sense of what Jesus should be doing and who he should be reaching. What and who you personally believe in, in the message about the message in the Messiah will not always be yours to handle or accept or be comfortable with. What you want is not what he is always or ever about or wants. How you want or think the poor or the blind or the oppressed should be reached is not always how he's going to do it. Who it should be done for the most and what makes what and when and how it's done the best or the most righteous way. This is a radical God. He is above human control. We have these laws and regulations already for Jesus. And you know what these are based on? It isn't based on a sincere understanding of the scriptures. It is based on this sense of self-righteousness, the the need to control God, the, the need to make sure God does what we want, that makes people read the scriptures in kind of a slanted way. I mean, when he read this in Isaiah, they should have jumped up. Woohoo! Thank you, God. We, we need it. We're blind. We're poor. We're oppressed. We need this stuff. Hey, they need it too. All right. Thank you, Jesus. I'm glad you're here. But their hearts. I already have a plan for you, God. I've got bad news that will make you, some of us, me too, because I want to do it too, want to throw Jesus and his gospel with him off the cliff. To try to keep in memory Joseph's good little submissive to keep him and his mission manageable for me. Sometimes I hear about Jesus, I'm like, that ain't Jesus. It can't be my Jesus. And sometimes theologically, maybe our people are saying things that aren't true about Jesus. But at the same time, sometimes Jesus does things and manifests his gospel and reaches people. And I think, don't go over to them, folk. Jesus, I'm going to pretend you didn't do that, Joseph's son. Messiah created the world. Be a good boy. Behave. Come on, Jesus, stop to it. Right? Here's hard. Guess what? Jesus, unfortunate for some of us, is really conservative. He is. I mean, he doesn't. I mean, he, one of his first sermons, he doesn't believe in sex outside of marriage. And he endorses a Bible that teaches that God knows you in the womb and therefore adds fuel on the conservative side of the abortion debate. He does the first New Testament fire and brimstone sermon. I mean, the explicit one and talks about judgment and hell and fire and punishment. And Jesus is is very exclusive, telling the world that he is the one and true savior of humankind. Now, what does that say about Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus? Jesus said it. I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except by me. Oh, Jesus, too conservative. Throw him off the cliff. He 
is explicitly, let me tell you scripture says, he is for, for us pacifists. Pacifists is good, but he is explicitly spoken of as the captain of the host, the Lord's general. And in the Revelation it says that so many, reflective of the part of verse he didn't read about the day of the Lord's vengeance, that so many will be killed, that the blood will be up to the end of his robe. And he's on a horse. He's about war and blood and death. Jesus is violent, man. Look at this Lord's Supper. He's violent. All kind of blood and body and tearing and gnashing of teeth and all kind of stuff. And sacrificial lambs and and he uses people. Here we go. Like Jerry Falwell and Pat Robertson and Chuck Colson and Dobson. And that whole Christian right wing thing to do exactly what he talks about the year of the Lord's favor being about. And what does this mean? Like here in this passage, he goes to and brings this radical message to those who many of us believe are morally, socially, culturally and spiritually questionable to you and me. And if Jesus, again, is a conservative or loves conservatives, throw his narrow mind off the cliff. Let them go to them. Let's stone them. Let, let's make them hush up before he gets too conservative on us. I don't want him or want to be a part of that. He's too conservatively radical. But before we end there, Jesus is really liberal too. When the Bible says that he hangs with sinners and tax collectors, he's going to Sidon in Syria. It means in the minds of those who hear this that he is going to the most godless people you could imagine. I mean, Jesus hates, hates the constraints and control of the moral ruling class with their family values and good godly behavior. He hates when people rule like that. We've got husband and wife, two kids. Got the station wagon wood on side. Be like us. That's the goal of the kingdom, to be like that. To all live in a nice three-two. Jesus hates that kind of this is what the gospel is stuff. He, he liked them. Tear some. Okay, moving on. Jesus becomes, let me say this. We look at scripture, understand what's happening when he says he's going to go to the worst. And we're going to have some more sermons about Jesus going to the worst and we'll talk about all that. But Jesus becomes the lords of those, the Lord of those in questionable lifestyles. You know what he does? He makes love a higher priority than being self-right or moral. And though he believed life begins at conception, guess what? And you know, I'm going to be careful here because you know the Roe versus Wade, we'll get an argument up in here, right? But think about this. He believes, I believe he believes that, if he believes the Psalms. But guess what? <laughs> there have been times in his ministry where he did not think it right to give judgment and legal power to those whose hearts were not right concerning women or who would abuse such power if they had it. Jesus, these women, these people, these sinners, they're doing wrong. They should be stoned. Not right now. What? Why not? Because you ain't right. You don't love women. You just want to be right. Jesus don't like that. 
How liberal can he be? Just stick to the law, Jesus. He bails people out with a divine government plan. And when it says he goes to the Gentiles, that's those who don't deserve it. Yeah, those who just went up and, and, and did all their debt and did all the bad things and then expect some big government to, to bail them out. That's Jesus and his kingdom. He's a socialist, sort of. Declaring a man who has two shirts, give it to the man who has none. And he says nothing about whether the man should work for it. Does he deserve to get that one? Is he going to change if I give him that one? Or is he going to get that one, sell that one and get some crack and then need some more later? Jesus, don't go to that. Don't go on bleeding heart, liberal Jesus. Just getting taken advantage of. And he says nothing, you know, in the apparently capitalistic strivings of church people. See the temple thing. He seems to have a, he seems to be against the capitalistic strivings of people rather. He seems to have a universal health care plan. You don't always apparently have to prove that you have the right citizenship to get his help. He's all about the illegal alien. He goes over and helps them. They don't have no rights to the Israel stuff. Let me let me look again. That's the Old Testament, Jack. You illegal. You ain't supposed to get that kind of care. He holds governments accountable for the well-being of their people and the terrible condition of the poor. He hangs and talks with women. And back then, that you know, you don't hang with that group. You know, talk to the men, and the men deal with the women because you know they need that kind of leadership. You know, all that stuff. And and not only that, loose women. It's crazy. Jesus don't hang with them. That'll make you look bad. And he takes down and challenges the men of the cloth, the pastors of the day for their pretense and arrogance. He lets the preachers of his day know they don't have it all together. He makes sure the mics catch their sinful comments. The ones in their secret lives and hearts following the self-righteous uh, stint from Judea to Argentina. And he finds a way to make the sinners feel proud about themselves again. We got Jesus. He hang with us. Woo! Yes. He uses to use people like Al Process here Sharpton. <laughs> Jesse, I read Green Eggs and Ham's the best, Jackson. I say this as one who's ordained in a pretty conservative denomination. Gay and lesbian leaders and spiritual leaders have had sincere relationship with Jesus and understand and know a lot about the gospel. Why would Jesus do that for some of us? That's our thinking. Why would he go to those folk? Why would he allow himself to his gospel to be accessible and preachable by all a lot of kind of different... Jesus, again, uses words like love and says, love our enemies. What does this say about wars? This thing's nuts. And there's the dilemma. Because you want to control him so bad. Get this right, left, up, down, whatever, and wherever you think you are right now, and how you feel Jesus is or should completely be about, whether he should be completely be on your side or your way, understand what radical means. He's not going to be the main event of your promotional tour. He's bound to show up and say the wrong thing which is always the right thing for you to see and hear that you don't want to or can't handle. I mean, how can I put it? Jesus is a megalomaniac. 
He comes to take over and be the center of attention. He has a Messiah complex. So guess what? He doesn't work well with others. You don't want him on your company. He don't want to be on your company. He's bound to be offensive as he expressed here. He ain't got no home training. He lacks proper etiquette for your events or your banner issues of what is your heart drive and passion. And Jesus will come right up in there and say, I see this nice stuff you're doing, but have you thought about this? Please sit down, Jesus. What did I do? I lost some stuff? Okay. What's the point? Jesus is a radical Messiah, y'all whose radical mission comes for and against us. Because he wants us to see and know and believe that this is truly his doing. Truly the year of the favor of the Lord and not about you and me and our godly agenda giving sight to the blind or our sense of righteousness or morality making these things happen. That is not about our ability to be radical enough or or not be too radical to make it happen. It is not about how well we can handle or get grips on what God is doing. You know, what what I want to say that it, it is every now and then that in our leanings, politically, socially, socially, religiously, that we just might be happen to, happen to sit, be sitting shotgun with Jesus, right? You in the front seat. You riding with him, right? Yeah, Jesus, we going the same direction. Woohoo! Yeah, I'm with Jesus. And then a lot of times, you just a kid in the back seat, looking out the back window, wondering, are we there yet? When are we gonna get something to eat, Jesus? I mean, what, where are you going? How far is it? Why are we going this way? You know, you're just kind of looking out the back window because you can't really see the front. You just, where, 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 where are we at? When it comes to Christianity, they're good for us that there is only one driver, a radical Messiah. Look at what happens here in verse 28. So all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town and took him to the brow of the hill. And that would be like, there wasn't any mountain to throw him off. They were throw him down a little cliff, like a maybe four, five feet high, and you would stumble. And as soon as you stumble, somebody would take a big rock and throw it at your chest, and then you could stop breathing and moving, and then everybody else would finish off. It's re- real, real nice way to do church discipline. And um, <laughs> they took him to the brow of the hill in which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff, but he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Okay. And the Bible says that he just sort of slipped in between them. And Pastor Giorgio and I were talking about this, and I kind of agree. I like this idea of ninja Jesus. <laughs> he is the Messiah. He's the one. He's Neo. So they got him. Get him! Get him! <laughs> I'm out. I don't know. Maybe it was like that. He was he was slipping. He could pop and lock. He got out of there. But it was a divine pop and lock, right? I think it's close. He, he will. Here's the point. He will not be handled by our sense of rightness. He cannot and will not be destroyed by our need for him to stay home with us wherever we might be. He slips away from being owned and labeled and controlled and completely understood by us, ironically, so that what? He can go and do for you what you refuse and can't do for yourself. He's slipping away. 
to do what must be done for you. Jesus slips away so that he can go and give those who even want to throw him off the cliff so he can give them the good news and freedom and sight and release from oppression. And for that, he will come to where you are on the right, on the left, in the dark, in the limelight to reach you. Yeah, sitting right here. You on the right, you on the left, you're somewhere in the middle. Jesus is coming to reach you a sinner, blind and poor and imprisoned human being who's trying to control their world by controlling him with the message and mission of God's redemption. Because it makes this Messiah so radical from all the others who claim to be, who basically operate like the Messiah, having their own law and judgment is that he is the only one who can save you. Jesus is like when they try to throw this radical out. Y'all can't kill me because I have to save you. You can't label me or put me he uses term, but put me in your box. Because I have to get out that box to save you from the stuff that makes you want to put me in that box. Y'all trying to kill me, fool? And I'm, I got to slip out to do good for you. You can't save yourself. And you can't make me save you. I alone am radical enough to die for your poverty, wherever it is, in your blindness, wherever it is, in your freedom, wherever you need it, and free from the abuse and abuse, even when you want to hate and kill me to do it. The gospel is radical because Jesus came to, to love sinners. That's you. That's me. Sinners on the right, say yeah. Sinners on the left, say yeah. And the quiet moderates, you say yeah too. Be radical, Jesus. But be gracious and gentle in my life. Yes, Lord, be radical so that I can see beyond myself righteousness in my poverty, beyond the oppressive sin that makes me an oppressor and oppressed, beyond my blindness that I... That can't, that I can't see my own unrighteous, but only that of others. Be radical. So we can experience the year of the Lord's favor. That's how radical it is. That's how radical He is. We take our lives. Jesus, come on in. I want to throw you off a cliff so bad. You demand too much conservative stuff in my life. I can't live like that. You do too many crazy things, God. I can't, I can't go with you. Save me from that. Save me to your kingdom. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, thank you. You are an uncontrollable Savior. Because your love knows no bounds. And your righteousness confounds and even confuses the righteousness of human beings. Lord, deal with sin in our lives that we can't see. Though we have you and you're among us, we're blind in so many places. But come, radical Lord, and heal us. We're oppressed, free us. We're poor. Be our richness. We're sinners. Be our radical Savior. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.